If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Vobella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Vobella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. With all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Okay, you guys, I'm going to be honest. I used to loathe wearing bras because they were so uncomfortable and suffocating. They were the first thing that I ditched the moment I got back home. But Skims totally flipped the script for me. As a dedicated fan of Skims undies, I decided to give their bras a shot. And wow, Skims once again knocked it out of the park. And if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or a significant other, they are also going to like Skims. Even the underwire bras are so cozy that you can literally just rock them all day without even realizing you're wearing a bra. Peyton, Peyton loves Skims. She's not lying. She's a supporter. I do. I will purchase Skims outside of this stuff I'm also supposed to be doing ads for. So I purchase my ad stuff and then I'm also like, hey, you know, maybe I should just throw a little t-shirt in here or something. But currently I'm wearing the Fits Everybody push-up bra. I love it. It is so amazing. I also rocked my no-show bra under a dress one night when I went out and it was so cute to just have the mesh detailing poking out. So shop Skims bras at skims.com. They are now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $75. And if you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. So after you place your order, will you please just select podcast in the survey and then select our show, Murder With My Husband, in the drop-down menu that follows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. We have some very exciting news. And I can't believe we are even about to say this on the podcast. It's like freaking me out i'm shaking i'm nervous but we are actually starting in july going to be donating a portion of our patreon proceeds to organizations who help out in the true crime field and this is something that garrett and i have wanted to do since the beginning of starting this podcast i don't know if we ever thought we'd even get here but here we are, and it's because of you guys, and I want you to know that you are not just caring about the victims each week. You are genuinely helping them. You are helping the victims. You are helping out in the true crime field, and that your listening to Murder With My Husband goes farther than just that, and that's why we are so excited about this. This is the number one goal I had, and I can't believe we're doing it. Well, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to follow my up my 10 seconds with that, but that is okay. This week, I busted out my grill grill he did barbecue whatever you want to call it and oh i made a good steak huh babe he did he made a really good steak steak. we made some chicken i hate cooking chicken i just i get so worried it's going to be undercooked i've talked about this before that i always just 
cook the heck out of it. But my steak was a perfect medium, medium rare, and it was delicious. Peyton and I also have just been kind of working a lot. We're going on vacation in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And so we've just been trying to catch up on things. We're going to actually record a couple episodes ahead of time, um, which is like the first time we've ever done that. Yeah, we, so, we, we never do that. So we've just been kind of running around trying to get things ready for that. This will actually genuinely be the first time we go somewhere and probably won't record record or yeah. like work on something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like it'll we'll it'll be definitely on, be like, weird. Social media, yeah. emails, yeah. but we won't be recording live. Right. I mean, we've we've recorded early before, but it's always just been a couple days mm -hmm. or, you know, never like a week, weeks in advance. So it definitely will be weird. But, you know, we're just being transparent with you guys. Also, real quick, Father's Day is coming up and one of my friends i'm not gonna say his name but one of my friends he actually owns a tie company they have amazing ties all of garrett's ties are from all there. Of my ties are like from genuinely there. even if we weren't friends with them so you need to go check them out they're called dazi d-a-z-i.com i'm also we're gonna put a link in the podcast description this is not sponsored by this the is not way sponsored. This is and just youtube subscription this is just father's day is coming up and yeah. it's a really great gift and he's also been launching some newer stuff and he's I been a friend of ours for years actually the second oh, i don't even know what episode like the sixth or seventh episode we did he helped us out and did uh helped us give do a giveaway mm -hmm. he gave us like a hundred dollar gift card to his, his, store. his store that we could do on the show and it just it was great. And he's been a, a listener since the beginning. So, yeah. yeah. Shout out to Dazi, D-A-Z-I. We just really wanted to um, highlight that because it is something that Garrett wears every single day. And Father's Day was coming up, so we thought that would be a fun thing. And he gave us a discount code of 15% off. So, please go check that out. The code will be in the description. So, again, go check that out. And go buy some ties for someone for Father's Day. Okay. Well, are we just ready to get into this? Like to do it. Okay, just a reminder, our case sources are always linked in the episode notes if you want to check them out. But for this week, it is a CNN article, Tampa Bay Times, WFLA.com, The U.S. Sun, Murderpedia. Oh, by the way, about Murderpedia, some people were thinking it was similar to Wikipedia. Murderpedia is actually just a site that has a whole bunch of sources stacked into one place. So Murderpedia is just a list of sources, news, news sites, anything like that, that have covered the case. And then they just list them all that underneath the case name. So that's what Murderpedia is. It's not like a Wikipedia where, I mean, I still love Wikipedia, but I know that it's can be a problematic site. So I just wanted to clarify that whenever I say I love Murderpedia is because they've already just compiled a list of sources for me and it's a lot easier. The netline.com, thefamouspeople.com, allthatsinteresting.com, dailymail.co, biography.com, radiox.co, macrotrends.net, and then a couple various published opinions by the Florida Supreme Court, investigationdiscovery.com, discoverhubpages.com, a lifetime film, chillingcrimes.com, and that's it. That was a long one. Okay, so our episode begins in March of 1967 when a little girl named Lisa McVeigh is born. Now, Lisa, from an early age, was introduced into a hard life. Her mother actually struggled with drug and alcohol addiction, which made her unable to care for Lisa along with Lisa's sister. Because of this, Lisa was in and out of foster homes growing up. 
and needless to say, I, you know, I don't need to go into how hard foster homes can be. So as a teen, she was finally sent to live with her grandmother in Tampa, Florida. Tampa is a city on Tampa Bay, which is located in the west central portion of Florida along Florida's Gulf Coast. It sits within the Hillsborough County. Now, according to macrotrends.net, Tampa's population at the peak of our case was 1,495,000, and it is actually the most populous county in Florida outside of the various counties that make up Miami. So Lisa lived with her grandmother and her grandmother's boyfriend, but this wasn't the great situation it seemed to be. It wasn't like she left foster care and finally found that loving home with stability and protection that every child needs. According to all sources, Lisa suffered ongoing sexual abuse Uh. at the hands of her grandmother's boyfriend for three to four years. So Lisa tried to report the abuse not only to her grandmother, but also to her own mother, except it was no use. They just scolded her for not being grateful that someone had finally taken her in and gave her her own bedroom and a house. Because remember, she had been in the foster care system because no one wanted to take care of her. The abuse was ignored by everyone that teenager Lisa told. So in the words of Lisa, it was an extremely traumatic childhood. And it was even harder to know that her grandmother not only condoned, but approved of this abuse, sometimes even standing there and watching it happen. Oh, that is so evil. Evil. So on November 2nd, 1984, Lisa McVeigh went to work. At this point in her life, like I said, she was a teenager and she had got a job and was working at Krispy Kreme. Now, I don't know if everyone knows what, you know, if Krispy Kreme is universal or not, but the it's a donut shop for those of you who don't know. So while, really yeah, Garrett loves Krispy Kreme. So while at work, Lisa decided that she was going to take her own life when she got home. She, you know, the life that she had been given was unfair and no one was helping her. It felt like no one cared. And because of this, she just wanted to stop feeling the pain. So she was going to work her shift at Krispy Kreme and then go home and end her life. Oh my gosh. How old is she again? She's a teenager. Okay. Has she thought about running away? You know, I'm I'm sure she has, but not saying that's like a solution to the problems. I'm just I'm just curious. But also, where's she going to go? She's experienced what else is out there and it's not it's not great. So in the early morning hours of November 3rd, 1984, Lisa was riding her bike home at around 2 a.m. after finishing her shift at Krispy Kreme. She had already decided her fate. She had just worked a double shift. And according to some sources, she willingly stayed and worked the double because she didn't want to go home to the house of horrors that she was currently living in and face the decision she had made. So while she was riding home in the darkness, someone suddenly grabbed her off her bike from behind. Lisa started screaming. Her attacker put a gun to her head and said, shut up or I'll blow your brains out. Oh my the gosh. man tied her up, blindfolded her and threw her into his car. So not only is she getting abused, she's now... And heading home to end her life. She's now just gotten grabbed off her bike by somebody by somebody who has a gun. Once in the car, Lisa knew what happened next, and it did. She was sexually assaulted. But Lisa, like many of us listening besides Garrett, was a fan of true crime shows. And because of this, and I'm not sure how she had the strength, she began avidly taking note of her surroundings and the details around her. Through a small space below the blindfold, she noticed details of the car and she eventually figured out it was a reddish colored Dodge Magnum. After the attack, Lisa was hoping the man would let her go. 
but he climbed into the front seat and began driving off with her still blindfolded in the back seat. She kept track of which direction they were driving and how long they were driving for. She even counted every step her attacker took as he pulled her out of the car and eventually carried her inside of a home. Okay. And thus began a terrorizing and dreadful hell that Lisa just couldn't seem to get away from. Lisa's attacker repeatedly assaulted her and beat her, Ugh. all while threatening her with a gun. And it was while tied up and blindfolded in what she's assuming is his home that she heard a news report on the TV about herself being missing. This is actually very similar to the live show, The Moment, that we did. This is very similar to that case. It's also a little ironic to me that the people who are abusing her care about her enough to report her missing. You know what I mean? Like, I know that... Because they're already doing something that's horrible. horrible. So they obviously don't care about her. Right. But they want her back. So they report her missing. Probably so they can just continue to abuse her. Mm -hmm. It's just horrible to me. So Lisa figured while listening to this news report of herself being missing, she figured, okay, that's it. I'm going to be murdered. Like that I was abused. I was taken. I've been sexually assaulted. And now I know where this ends. I, I'm a true crime fan and I know where this ends. And it was in that moment that she realized just how much she wanted to live. She had left work that night with the intention of dying, but not like this. And now in the face of it, she did not want this. And it's making me emotional because she had such a hard yeah. life. And then when faced with it, she decided that, no, my life is worth it. And I do want to live. And I just, I'm proud of her. And I think it's, it's such a hard thing to be going through and it makes me sad. So with every hour that passed, the reality grew stronger for her. Lisa decided that if this was to be her fate, her murder would be solved. She did her best to leave behind as much forensic evidence as possible so her attacker would be caught. She purposely touched surfaces, leaving behind as many fingerprints as she could in the house. So smart. So smart. And in between attacks, Lisa's attacker tried talking to her. And although she was so scared, she began inventing stories in hopes of trying to gain sympathy from her attacker. She talked about how she had this amazing father who had gotten sick and she was the sole caregiver of him. And so she doesn't, you know, she doesn't even mind what's happened here, but she really does need to get home or he would die. Like he has no one except her. Now we know this is not the case. Yeah. Lisa does not have a, go a good home life. But she's trying to play on her attacker's emotions. So when her attacker opened up about how, you know, why he was doing this, she, she tried to sympathize with him. Why are you doing this? What's happened that make, makes you feel like you need to do this? He said, you know, he was trying to get back at women in general because of a bad breakup he had had. And she lied to him and sympathized with this in order to appease him and calm him down and almost coddle him. And after 26 hours of being kidnapped and this back and forth, sexual assaults in between, against all odds, Lisa's plan worked. She convinced him to load her back into the car blindfolded, that she wouldn't tell anyone, and he could just take her home. He first drove to an ATM and by some accounts stopped at a gas station as well. He then dropped her off behind a business around 4.30 a.m. blindfolded. That is crazy because I feel like that never works. Right. Ever. And he instructed her to wait five minutes before taking the blindfold off so that he would have time to drive away. And when leaving, he said, tell your sick father he's the reason why I didn't kill you. 
That's so crazy. This man got into his maroon car and then drove away. Lisa ripped her blindfold off. And the first thing she saw was this amazing oak tree above her. She couldn't help but be overcome with thoughts about how she had wanted to die before all of this. And now looking at this tree, her attacker actually letting her go. She wanted more than anything to live. Life was worth living. She had found that. Lisa got up and ran all the way back to her grandmother's house. However, when she arrived, her grandmother and his boyfriend, who was her abuser, didn't believe her story. In private, her grandma's boyfriend beat her for cheating on him. What in the world? Right. And no one will do anything. Has she gone to the cops about? Well, she, they did report her missing. So when she was found, they had to say, oh, never mind. She's back. And law enforcement was already too involved in the case because, like I said, they yeah. had heard her story. And so when they hear her story about being kidnapped, despite the fact that her grandma doesn't believe her, the cops miraculously do. Good. Okay. The Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office urged the Tampa Police Department to send Lisa's rape kit evidence to the FBI lab. They're like, okay, we've found her. She's back and we need to start investigating. Now you might be wondering if her own family weren't pushing police and Lisa had come home, why are the police involving the FBI? Like this, this is usually the opposite of what we see happening, mm -hmm. especially in teenage missing person cases that return home in less than 48 hours. But that's because there was something else going on in Hillsborough County besides Lisa's abduction. Something big. In fact, police clung to Lisa's story because they were hoping it was the lead that they had been needing in another case. Unbeknownst to Lisa or her family, Hillsborough County in 1984 had an active serial killer. Okay. A brutal one who since March, so eight months earlier, had already abducted and murdered nine girls. Holy crap. Police can't help. Was Lisa the 10th victim that somehow this brutal and rampant serial killer had set free? They had to look into it. They were like, maybe Lisa's our yeah. lead. Dave is the banking app that's leveling the financial playing field. When you download Dave, you could get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra cash account, advance the money you need with no interest, and then settle up later. This would have been nice in college when I kept getting slapped with parking tickets oh and I gosh. literally didn't have I, any wiggle room. Or when I kept getting towed. Yeah, I could have used Dave. Extra cash gives you more money to buy groceries, fill a tank, and pay rent without having to wait for your next paycheck. It's time to remove extra stress with extra cash. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to make their finances easier. In fact, Dave has helped its members avoid over $2.5 billion in overdraft fees since 2017. Download Dave today at dave.com slash husband. That's dave.com slash husband. You could get up to $500 in five minutes or less when you download Dave. No credit check, no late fees. Download the Dave app now or go to dave.com slash husband. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Eligibility criteria and instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve, member FDIC. Murder With My Husband is sponsored by BetterHelp. If I had an extra hour in my day, I would probably start reading more books every day. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time, but the question is, Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? 
The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I really am such a huge fan of therapy. It's truly given me the tools to tackle really big life changes, honestly overcome anxiety, and is a safe space for me to voice my thoughts. I think putting words to how we feel is so, so important and therapy is a tool to do just that. It's fully online, made to be convenient, flexible, and work best for your schedule. You just have to fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with the licensed therapist. You can also switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash husband today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash husband. According to Murderpedia.org, Hillsborough County averaged approximately 30 to 35 homicides per year in the early 1980s. And then that all changed in 1984 when the murder rate in Tampa escalated dramatically due to a rapid fire series of murders of young women. Law enforcement suspected there was a serial killer on the loose. The killer's MO was to bind, rape, and kill young female victims and then dump them in secluded spots, displaying their bodies in unusual poses. Ten women had already been murdered in a relatively small area of Tampa during an eight-month period in 1984, like I said. The women were all young, ranging in ages from their teens to the oldest at 28 years old, all relatively short between five foot two and five foot six, and most were taken from the same area around Nebraska Avenue in Tampa. The killer kidnapped and murdered each woman, dumping their bodies in deserted places, and like many serial killers, this one targeted women who were vulnerable. I can't believe you can kill nine people and just get away with it. Well, like I said, he was killing people who were vulnerable, including women who were walking or riding a bike alone, who were maybe sex workers or exotic dancers. He would either persuade or force women into his car where he would then sexually assault, torture, and murder them. According to a November 1984 issue of the St. Petersburg Times, and like I said, the murdered women all disappeared from the same general area, which was how the serial killer was even suspected. I mean, if a lot of women go missing from around the same area cops are going to be like okay i think we have a serial killer majority of their bodies were found along nebraska avenue which housed a strip of nightclubs kind of a you know more lively area that many of the victims actually worked at in order of disappearance here are the victims Artist Ann Wick, Peggy Long, Michelle Sims, Elizabeth Loudenbeck, Vicki Elliott, Chanel Williams, Karen Dinsfriend, Kimberly Hopps, Virginia Johnson, and Kim Marie Swan. So right now we are going to list every victim and what happened to that specific victim. If you are watching YouTube, you will have a picture of them. If not, you can go to our Instagram to see each one as it's important to remember them all while telling this story. So the first was artist Ann Wick, who was 20 years old at the time of her murder. She is now considered to be the first known murder victim. She was from a small town in Indiana who then hitchhiked to Tampa to join her sister, Becky, who was living there. At about 11 a.m. on March 27, 1984, she left her apartment on East 10th Street to get a pack of cigarettes and she never returned. She was reportedly 
a sex worker whose skeletal remains were found in rural southern Hillsborough County on November 22, 1984, approximately eight months after she was murdered. A little over a month later, Peggy Long was 19 years old at the time of her murder. She was originally from Southern California. She went by Peggy or Lana Long and had been working in Tampa as an exotic dancer at the Starlight Lounge and Sly Fox Lounge. She had recently quit her job as a dancer to study art and cinema at the University of South Florida. Her body was found on Mother's Day, May 13th, 1984, the same day she was murdered near an overpass on East Bay Road. Two boys who were playing in a field actually found her body. She was naked. Her hands were bound behind her back and her legs had been posed five feet apart which is very disgraceful yeah. to do to a body. Yeah. Two weeks later, another young woman was murdered. So these are pretty back to back. Like this is a rampage. There's not like a couple months in between them. Like he's just, whoever this is, it's just right. and it, killing yeah. people. Yeah. Michelle Denise Sims was her name. She was 22 years old at the time of her death and was from San Bernardino County, California. She had been in beauty pageants and had worked as a receptionist at a Fort Pierce massage parlor. Now, Fort Pierce is about midway between Miami and Orlando on the east side of Florida. She then moved to Tampa in May of 1984, the very same month she would be killed. Okay. So she moved to Tampa and then was killed. Her body was found bound and stabbed on May 27th near an interstate four overpass by Plant City. She was last seen at some bars on West Kennedy Boulevard. According to an opinion by the Florida Supreme Court, there were three possible causes of her death, strangulation, head injuries, or bleeding from two knife slashes to her neck. So this was definitely overkill. According to Google Maps, Kennedy Boulevard intersects with Nebraska Avenue, not far from where Interstate 4 and some other highways converge in Tampa. I say this so you can see that they're all kind of being found in a similar area. Okay. Two days later, 33-year-old Linda Natal placed an ad in a newspaper around Memorial Day to sell some of her and her husband's furniture. Now, I believe this crime happened on May 29th. Someone came to her house to answer to the ad about buying the furniture where she was then sexually assaulted in her own home. Her children, ages one through four, were in the house at the time. And she was one of only two to survive this attack. So her and Lisa are the two girls that survived. survived. So Linda says she led the man, so we know it's a man now, to her bedroom to show him the furniture that was for sale. And at that point, he pushed her to the floor, sat on her and tied her hands behind her, went on to beat her, sexually assault her, tried to murder her, um, but she survives. A little over a week later, Elizabeth Loudenbeck was 22 years old at the time of her murder. She lived with her parents and younger siblings at the Village Tampa Community Mobile Home Park. This was only a few blocks away from the Nebraska Avenue Strip where some of the other victims had worked. Liz was last seen on June 8th when she stepped out for a walk near her home. She was never seen again. Her body was found about two weeks later on June 24th in an orange grove east of Brandon. She had been sexually assaulted 
assaulted and strangled. Okay. Approximately three months later, on September 7th... So now a bigger gap. A bigger gap. Vicky Marie Elliott disappeared. She was 21 and a night shift waitress at Ramada Inn Coffee Shop near the Starlight Lounge, which was where Peggy Long had worked, one of our previous victims. According to reporting by the Tampa Tribune, she was planning to return to Michigan to study to be a paramedic. Investigators found an airline ticket lying on her bed. She almost made it. This is crazy. This guy's just going around, just killing everybody. Right. She asked a neighbor for a ride to work, but Vicky was actually gone when the neighbor showed up to give her the ride. Her body was found two months later on November 16th. It's actually said that Vicky carried scissors for protection on her mile long walk to work because men would holler at her as they drove past, which disgusting and gross. And when police found her body in a patch of some shrubs northeast of Tampa on November 16th, the scissors that she carried were found next to her. Okay. Exactly one month later, Chanel Williams was murdered. She was 18 at the time of her death. She had just moved from Winter Haven, east of Tampa, to Tampa just a month before she was killed. Again, it seems like all of these women were either on their way out or just came in. Like that just seems like a consistent across the board. Police said she was working as a sex worker and was last seen on the corner of Nebraska Avenue on the night of September 30th. Her body was found on October 7th. She had been shot in the head and neck. Again, manner of death is is not consistent across the board either. We've had stab wounds, strangling, and now gunshots. I was going to say the MO is not the same. I mean- Dumping the body is the same, but, but as far as killing them, it's right. completely different across the board. Right. Chanel was the only victim who was shot to death. Also, unlike the others, her body had not been bound. Because of these mm. differences in the MO, police initially weren't sure if Chanel was even part of the murder victims, but forensic tests found the same tiny red fibers that were found on other victims on her. So that was how they connected it. Tampa Bay Times wrote, we all know that your loved ones have to go sometime, but you never think they'll go this way, said her mother, Lulu Williams. One week later, Karen Dent's friend was murdered. Jeez, it does not stop. And I think obviously when I'm listing them this fast, this back to back, it's like, oh my gosh, like it's it's just a rampage. But it really was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. She was strangled to death on October 14th. Her body was found in an orange grove in northeastern Hillsboro. She was 28 years old. She grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. She had last been seen on the sidewalk of Nebraska Avenue seven hours before her body was found. So very similar to the other victims. Tampa Bay Times wrote, none of that negates the fact that she was a beautiful, bright girl and who was loved by her family. This is her stepsister, Cher, who told Times reporter this. She said, everyone had the opportunity to turn their life around and my sister never got that chance. Kimberly Kyle Hops was 22 when she was murdered next in October. Not much is actually known about her, which is so devastating. She had been living in the Sulphur Spring area of Tampa. She was last seen walking with a group of sex workers in mid-October near Nebraska Avenue. Her body was found on Halloween in an isolated portion of US 301 north of Tampa. It was after this, on November 3rd, that Lisa McVeigh was kidnapped and then released. Got it. Okay. So we've caught back up to where then Lisa was kidnapped. Just two days after Lisa was let go, on November 6th, 
Virginia Lee Johnson's body was found near Morris Bridge Road. According to Google Maps, this appears to be in the lower Hillsboro Wilderness Preserve just northeast of Tampa. So again, the same place. So it's not clear when she was murdered, but she had vanished from Nebraska Avenue between Fowler and Fletcher sometime in late October 1984. So she wasn't taken after Lisa, she was taken before Lisa, but her body was Got found it. two days after Lisa was released. Okay. Not much is known about Virginia, and police were initially unable to even identify Virginia's body. Virginia was 18 at the time of her death. She was from Connecticut and had been in and out of Florida for the past few years. She wasn't actually reported missing until months after her disappearance, which is why it took even longer to identify who she was. And then last, Kim Marie Swan was 21 when she was murdered on November 11th, 1984, just a week after Lisa was released. So this was after Lisa. She had briefly worked as an exotic dancer at the Sly Fox, where Peggy Long had also been a dancer, which Peggy Long was another one of the victims. Kim had been a regular on the Nebraska Avenue Strip since she was a teenager. And according to the U.S. Sun, she decided she wanted to change her life just a few months before her murder. She had a one-year-old son, Robbie, and she and her son had moved into her parents' home in Carrollwood. She had reportedly enrolled in a vocational program to become a medical technician. She was last seen on November 11th at a convenience store. Her body was found under an overpass on Orient Road similar to another overpass by a man who was swapping out a billboard. She had been strangled to death. Again, another woman who was just on the verge of making a big change in her life when tragedy struck. So that is the list of victims. So back in June of 1984, Sheriff Walter Heinrich warned that a serial killer may be targeting young women in Tampa, Florida. So this was after a couple victims and they were like, okay, we think there's something going on. Gary Terry which I just think that's such a cute name. Gary Terry of the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office became the lead investigator on the case. According to his interview with WFLA.com, the series of homicides started and we were finding a body. It averaged out about every two weeks. He said it was a race against time. You know, if you don't solve it soon, someone else is going to die, which now you understand why when Lisa came forward and was like, I was just kidnapped and then he let me go. Police were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this might be a huge lead. We have another survivor. Like this could make the case. I don't know if you are a fan of Criminal Minds listening to this, but this is the most Criminal Minds, like real life true crime case I've ever heard of. And you will see why even more towards the end, but still even just this, like them having to race against time because a serial killer is, is just moving so fast is so Criminal Minds-ish. So between March and November 1984, the discovery of the bodies during that eight-month period was awful. It was awful for police. It was awful for everyone around. One crucial piece of evidence kept appearing at every crime scene, red nylon carpet fiber. Also, one of the tire tracks showed one tire that was particularly rare. So whatever car this killer was driving, one of the tires was different. Okay. However, law enforcement officers weren't able to track down the killer based on these clues. They were just going to help get a conviction, basically. They didn't have enough information not until Lisa McVeigh survived and was possibly the 10th victim of this serial killer. But I'm confused because they had Linda that survived. So did they not have enough evidence with her? Right. So yeah, Linda did survive, but it is important to note here 
that um, sometimes I feel like when we cover survivor cases or someone who has survived a case, it's so they're amazing. They're just every survivor is amazing. Body responses are different to trauma. So there's yeah. a high chance that Linda responded differently during the attack than, than Lisa, Lisa did. did. And not one is right or wrong. I'm not putting one on a pedestal or one not. I'm just saying that there's a chance that Lisa could provide more information than Linda could. You also have to remember Remember, Linda had kids in her house. So her attention was probably not even on herself. It was most likely on her kids and protecting her kids. She probably wasn't even paying attention to the attacker very much. Yeah. Whereas Lisa was alone with him for a very long time. And so she might've even had more of a chance to pay attention to him as well. Okay. Uh, no source said, oh, this is why Linda didn't, you know, but I'm just assuming and being gentle to the fact that all survivors are different and traumatic responses are different and the situations were different. All right, everybody, we're talking about food, not just any food, but daily harvest. And when it comes to eating well, we are not the best at it. And we're also not very good cooks. That's why we love daily harvest. They have no gluten fillers, seed oils, added sugars, or starches. Daily Harvest really takes the guesswork and effort out of cooking because they deliver delicious smoothies and other options that are built on organic fruits and vegetables straight to your door. I love their smoothies. Yeah, love Garrett, them. Garrett drinks one every day. And when it comes to variety, Daily Harvest is always keeping it exciting as well. They have tons of great smoothies and other meal options that look so delicious. You never get bored when it comes to meals and snacks. So take the guessing out of eating well and try Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash husband to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash husband for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Again, go check out their stuff. They got food. They got smoothies. They got something for lunch, breakfast, anytime you want to eat something. It's very convenient and we love it. Dailyharvest.com slash husband. All right, we're jumping into a Shopify ad. Love Shopify. Bunch of ads for them. If you have any type of online business, e-commerce store at all, please go and check out Shopify. You will absolutely love it and make sure you use code husband or go to shopify.com slash husband. I think sometimes starting something, we all have these aspirations, right? We're like, oh, I make these little, I knit these little onesies. I really want to sell them or I do this or I do that. But then you have no idea what that actually looks like. Shopify is the answer. That is how you do it. And when we started podcasting, I was like, okay, maybe we're done with Shopify, but nope, here we are selling merch. So we're still using it. From the launch your online store stage to the real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million order stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. No, we have not hit a million orders on Murder With My Husband, but maybe one day. <laughs> Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs to every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. You guys don't forget to use code husband. It really it, it benefits you and it benefits us. Shopify.com slash husband. So after Lisa was released from her captor on November 4th, 1984, she told police everything she could remember because they were very interested in her case. According to WFLA.com, she saw the word Magnum on the dash 
of the car, white leather seats and a red carpet interior. Remember, there were red carpet fibers mm -hmm. found on all the victims. She also saw and heard him stop at an ATM on the way to drop her off. She also was able to retrace their steps from the night she was abducted. She recalled that they had stopped at the ATM at about 3 a.m. and that they passed to Howard Johnson's motel as they drove on the interstate. All of this she was seeing while That's peeking so out of crazy. her blindfold. She remembers all that too. Yes. On November 13th, the FBI lab called with huge news. The same red fibers found on Lisa's clothes had been found on the other homicide victims. Lisa was for sure, undoubtedly, the 10th known victim of their serial killer. Okay. On November 14th, 1984, a special task force was formed by Tampa and Hillsborough County law enforcement to investigate the series of murders. The task force was comprised of the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, the Tampa Police Department, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and the FBI. Approximately 30 officers were assigned to the task force. After this, detectives matched local owners of a Dodge Magnum with a list of those who made an ATM transaction during the time Lisa was held. So they're like, we know he went to the ATM. So if we can make a list of everyone who went to the ATM well, around this area. ATMs, I'm pretty sure around then had cameras as well, correct? Most of them, but not okay. all of them. And then they also said, so we'll take owners of Dodge Magnums and we'll take a list of people who went to the ATM around this area during the time she was held and we'll see if any of the mm -hmm. names match. And some of them did. There were more than one. So on November 15th, two detectives spotted a car and suspect matching the description they'd gotten from Lisa and, and Linda's physical description. However, they didn't arrest the suspect immediately. Instead, they took photos of the suspect and the car, notified their superiors, and obtained an arrest warrant. The warrant was for 31-year-old Bobby Joe Long. His name was on the list police had made the day before. His name was Bobby Joe Long? Yes. Okay. I don't know. Just, of course, it was his name was Bobby Joe Long. Of course. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't know. So they are like, okay, we we have eyes on this guy. He matches the physical description. He has the car. Let's check him against the list. And he was on the list. They got a warrant to search his apartment and his car. The arrest warrant was for charges pursuant to the, Le the Lisa McVeigh case. So they didn't pursue him for any of the other cases, just for Lisa. According to chillingcrimes.com, police kept Bobby under surveillance for 36 hours until they arrested him, maybe hoping that yeah, they would catch, catch him, him in the act. Okay. Law enforcement then executed the search warrants, searching his apartment and car and gathered forensic evidence, which would ultimately tie him to the cases. The carpet fibers found on the victims traced back to Bobby's car. They had found their killer. Now, I know you guys know this. I don't enjoy talking about the killers or the predators in our stories. I don't want to give them any more time than than I have to. But I will examine the psychology in their life if it might have something to do with the case, which is why we will even tap into Bobby Joe Long at this point. Bobby Joe Long was born on October 14th, 1953 in West Virginia. Bobby was reportedly born with an extra X chromosome, a genetic condition called Kleinfelter syndrome, which results in excess estrogen development and some female traits such as breast development. So Long was bullied and teased mercilessly as a child due to his large breasts mm -hmm. because of this extra X chromosome. He underwent breast reduction surgery during his adolescence to try to combat this. Bobby's parents actually split up while he was a young boy and he spent most of his childhood in Florida with his mother. His father wasn't around and he had a highly 
dysfunctional relationship with his mother. According to multiple sources, Bobby also sustained multiple head injuries due to various accidents while he was growing up. He had fallen out of a swing, fallen down a flight of stairs, been hit by a car, and been thrown from a horse. Most of these oh accidents gosh. had rendered him unconscious for a period of time. I was going to say, doesn't everyone sustain accidents? But that sounds a little excessive. Right. Like, he lost consciousness. Yeah. Bobby felled the first grade, and according to Biography.com, he developed a hatred for women that began with his mother. He mm -hmm. actually shared a bed with her in their one-bedroom apartment until he was about 12 or 13 years old. And she had a habit of bringing men home often, which experts say could have led to the resistance and the hatred because he had to share the same bedroom as she was still actively being, having an active adult life. Yeah. Bobby married his high school sweetheart in 1974 and had two children. After this, Bobby was involved in a serious motorcycle accident and his wife later claimed that his temperament changed following this and he became very violent with her and the children. Mm. Maybe it was just the last head injury to push him over the edge. Bobby Long had also developed a strangely overt, compulsive, and often dangerous sex drive. Crime analysts would later attribute his violent character to a sexual obsession, labeling him as a sexual sadist. Again, if you watch Criminal Minds, you now know why I'm drawing a connection to this case. Despite the violence, Bobby and his wife stayed married for six years, living in Long Beach, California. And this is where he began committing his first sexual assaults. His MO was to contact women who were advertising some household item for sale through the classified ads like the local penny saver. However, there isn't much detail about these crimes and all the reports say he was never prosecuted in California for these rapes. Now, if you remember, Linda, this is the exact yep. way she was attacked and also she was left alive which he left every victim alive in California of these sexual assaults as well. After the divorce, Bobby moved back to Florida to live with a female friend who would later accuse him of sexual assault and battery. Apparently, Bobby continued his behavior of raping women he found through classified newspaper ads in Florida. But I want to clarify that I looked and I can't find any real proof in terms of court records to back this up. It's just said that he did this, but either none of these women came forward. There's nothing in court details yeah. that I can find for this. According to at least one report, he would respond to ads selling things like small appliances. If he found a woman home alone, he'd then assault her. He'd accomplish this by asking to use the bathroom, taking out his rape kit. Now, I'm not sure what was in this, maybe something to tie the victims up to gag them, whatever, and then would assault and rob the woman. According to multiple sources, Bobby Long committed at least 50 rapes in Holy Miami crap. and Fort Lauderdale area using this method. And this is all before he begins attacking in Tampa. Yeah. So then at what point did he decide, okay, it's not enough. I need to kill people now. Right. Because everything escalates yep. and that's such a good draw. You are, you're getting so good at these cases about like learning more about these killers. So he eventually became known to police in Miami and the Fort Lauderdale area as the classified ad rapist. And this is all before he goes on to kill. According to investigationdiscovery.com, he was actually caught at one point in 1981 and went on trial for one of the assaults. He was convicted, but requested at a new trial at Bobby's request was granted. So apparently there, you know, there might've just been some mistake somewhere along the way that granted him a new trial, but before the new trial could take place, the charges were dropped and Bobby Long was once again out on the streets. Okay. So I do just want to give a note to our listeners here. 
please, please be careful when letting strangers into your home, especially when no one else is home with you. Don't trust them just because they claim to be interested in looking at the toaster you have for sale. Same goes if you're selling your car, anything. Don't be home alone and don't let strangers in. And I'm guilty of this. We've both done this. Like I've let people in because they're coming to pick something up and I've just been like, sure, come in. And so this was even, and I, you know, this is something that I need to get better at. I know the term it's better safe than sorry is like overused, but it truly is. And don't be worried about looking stupid or feeling stupid. It is better safe than sorry. So we all need to get better at this. By 1984, Bobby was on probation for assault, but I can't find any further details as to what that specific attack was. He was also reportedly fired from his job as an x-ray technician at Tampa General Hospital and was living alone and now obviously living in Tampa. He was driving a 1978 maroon red Dodge Magnum. Okay. So just 12 days after Lisa was released, Bobby was captured on November 16th, 1984 and transported to the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office for questioning, basically because of the details that Lisa gave and they were able to make the list. That was really the only reason they found him. He was reportedly arrested outside of a Tampa movie theater. He was given his Miranda warnings and signed a formal Miranda waiver. He agreed to be questioned during the ensuing one and a half hours of questioning. Bobby Long confessed to the kidnapping and assault of Lisa McVeigh. Authorities then began asking him about the serial rapes and murders. Detectives left the room to grab the photographs of the various murder victims and then returned to the interrogation room and asked Bobby if he had ever picked up any sex workers in the area or ever come across women riding their bicycle alone. At this point in the interrogation, Bobby stated, I'd rather not answer that. The detectives Mm. then confronted him with photographs of the murder victims. According to the Florida Supreme Court's opinion, Bobby said, the complexion of things have sure changed since you came back into the room. And I think I might need an attorney. Those were his exact words. Those were his exact words. So he was totally fine admitting to Lisa when that's, that's all he thought police knew about. So he thought Lisa was the only thing police knew about. And so he said, yep, I did it. I kidnapped her. I assaulted her, but I let her go. I didn't murder her. Like I'm a, you know, I have a problem, but it's okay. I didn't kill her. Then they come back in and they lay out all the pictures and they say, also, we think you did the rest of these, all the other 11 of these. Um, At the time it wasn't 11 because they hadn't drawn all the conclusions, but we know it was 11. And he said, okay, yeah, you think I'm a serial killer. So I think I'm going to now need an attorney. Law enforcement didn't provide Bobby with an attorney, but continued the interrogation. This is illegal. This is illegal. Bobby ended up confessing to Virginia Johnson's murder and some of the other murders as well during this time. Oh, no, they didn't because now none of this is admissible in court, correct? Yeah, it won't stand. This confession would serve as the basis for one of his later appeals. So he still does go to court, but it will serve as one of the basis for his later appeals as Bobby argued that this was in violation of his, of Miranda, yeah, which it was, which it was according to the Florida Supreme That's so court, stupid because he obviously did it. And I mean, they have I evidence. Get it. They I want mean, a confession though. It just sucks. It yeah. sucks. So according to the Florida Supreme Court, Bobby provided graphic details of his murders during his confession that only the murderer would know. And I don't need to go into too many of these details, you know, more than I already have, but just know it's awful. Like when I said the detail about him displaying the bodies in weird ways, that's just like covering the brim of what he did to these women. And I don't need to go into it. He talks about driving around with rope and weapons in his car and looking for victims. So you know, just know he was a horrific serial killer. 
Once he was arrested, police put Bobby or a photo of him in a lineup for Lisa McVeigh to see if she could identify him because she had felt her attacker's face and also caught small glimpses of him through the small gap beneath her blindfold. Lisa was able to identify him in the lineup. This is so brave and amazing because it's also traumatizing for her. And also the fact that she was able to say, yep, that's the one that's huge in court. She identified him. The gritty details of the trial and the sentencing phase of this case was a little confusing, but to my understanding, it's that on April 27, 1985, Bobby Joe Long was convicted of the kidnapping and murder of Virginia Johnson in Pasco County, for which he was sentenced to death on May 10th, 1985. Apparently, this is the one murder that happened outside of Hillsborough County, so it's a completely okay. separate trial. He's convicted and sentenced to murder for it. Then Bobby Jolong ultimately reached a plea agreement with the Hillsborough County State Attorney's Office where he agreed to plead guilty to eight of the homicides and to the abduction and rape of Lisa McVeigh. I'm guessing the other ones because there was no forensic evidence to tie him to it. So it would have been Which hard. at this point, I mean, he's going to jail or getting the death penalty. Right. So. But I will say it does hurt for the living victims' families who their daughter or friend or whoever's name is not on the list. I know that everyone else is like, well, but we know it was him. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, you want that formal justice. You know what I mean? So these charges included at least eight counts of first degree murder, nine counts of kidnapping, eight counts of sexual battery, and one probation violation. In exchange, the state agreed to not seek the death penalty except for the crimes against Michelle Denise Sims as they were extremely brutal. Like I said, I'm not going to go into details, but that one, they were like, we can't give that up. We have to get the death penalty on that one. The judge, possibly a jury for sentencing and death penalty, sentenced Bobby to multiple life sentences and to death. Law enforcement believes that Bobby was responsible for many more rapes than he was charged with, as we talked about earlier. Now you might be asking, well, if they were going to go for the death penalty anyways, why, why did they even take a plea deal? Like, Mm -hmm. why not just charge him? Because it's easier. It costs taxpayers less money if he takes a plea deal. It it costs everyone less time, less effort. So if they were already going to get the outcome they wanted, they were totally okay with giving him a plea deal for some of them. Bobby Joe Long spent 34 years in prison until his execution. Oh, wow. Among the longest stint on death row of any Florida inmate. Governor Ron DeSantis signed Bobby's death warrant in April 2019. Oh, recently. Recently. Like I said, he tried to appeal because of the whole Miranda rights thing, but that was just for a couple of the charges. They were like, we have you on other charges that didn't happen during that confession, so we're going to let it stand. He was executed by lethal injection on May 23rd, 2019. Lisa McVeigh sat in the front row wearing a shirt that read long dot 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 overdue because his last name is long. Lisa McVeigh stated, I wanted crazy. Right. She said, I wanted to be the first person he saw. Unfortunately, he didn't open his eyes the whole time. Survivor Linda was also present to witness Bobby's execution. According to the Gainesville Sun, she said it was hard to be in the same room as her attacker, but noted that justice had finally been served. Family members of other victims were present as well. Bobby Joe Long died without saying a word. He was pronounced dead at 6.55 p.m. inside the death chamber at Florida State Prison. Lisa McVeigh read a victim impact statement saying she had forgiven him. She said, my life changed forever and for the better. She says, I chose not to remain a victim and I chose to live. So on that note, what happened with, because I'm curious with her being abused in her house, um, did the 
did the police now get involved with that or what exactly happened? Yeah. So Lisa McVeigh actually left her abusive home after her attack and moved into a runaway center. According to various Good. reports and the Lifetime film, police not only believed Lisa about Bobby, but they also 100% believed her about the abuse that was going yeah. on in her home life. The grandmother's boyfriend was then arrested. Good. I haven't been able to find any more information as to what became of grandma and boyfriend the identity of mcveigh's grandmother and the grandmother's boyfriend are actually unknown and i don't i mean it's kind of frustrating to me that they are because they were a huge part of lisa's story but i mean whatever maybe she wants it to be that way i don't know she later moved in with an aunt and uncle aunt carol and uncle charlie who were loving and who treated her well after everything. Um, definitely better than she'd been treated by any family before yeah. this. In 2004, Lisa McVeigh, who now goes by Lisa Noland, signed up for the police academy and pursued a career wow. in law enforcement. She eventually became a Hillsborough Sheriff's deputy. That's awesome. Working for the same department that had investigated her case and not, you know, arrested her attacker and not only saved her from him, but also from the, the family life that she was in. She still works there to this day. Lisa Nolan specializes in sex crimes and has been working to protect children for almost two decades. She also works as a school resource deputy and motivational speaker. Lisa got married to a police officer two years after her abduction, and the couple had a daughter before their five-year marriage ended. She states that surviving the trauma and abuse during her childhood is what gave her the ability to take notes and stay calm while being attacked by Bobby yeah. Long, which goes back to what we were talking about before. She had been through crap. She had been through hell. She, I'm not saying she was used to it, but she definitely had found coping mechanisms before this. We tell this story in honor of Lisa, her life, and her legacy, but also in honor of every victim taken at the hands of evil. Sometimes in these serial killer cases, the victims can become just a number or a name on the page because there's so many of them. So I want everyone who's listening to take the time today to think about each and every one of them, honor and remember them. This was the survival story of Lisa McVeigh, Linda Natal, and the victims of Bobby Joe Long. It's crazy because we don't do, uh, we haven't done many serial killers mm -mm. on the podcast. Um, and it's just, I mean, obviously all murder, all killing, sexual assault, anything of that matter is evil and horrible. But something about a serial killer, someone who just, especially Bobby Joe Long, Sorry, this makes me laugh when I say that name. Especially this one, he just killed and killed and killed like month after month after month after month. And after who day, knows how many week? people he killed in different states that we don't, I mean, you just never know. Sexually assaulted. Sexually assaulted. I mean, that's Horrible. huge. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's disgusting. It's disturbing. Bobby Joe Long is disturbing. Um, but yeah, I, you know, you say we haven't covered a lot of serial killer cases and that's because sometimes I feel like serial killers, they live in infamy, yeah. which they do because they're interesting. And you're like, why do people do this? And you want to know every detail and you're fascinated and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But sometimes, like I said, the victims of, of these infamous serial killers can be overshadowed by the serial killer himself yeah. or their self. So that's why I really want to, if we ever do cover a serial killer, I want it to be victim heavy. I yeah. want it to be victim focused. I still want to acknowledge the fascination of a serial killer. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but I also want to make sure we say their names and yeah. remember them and understand that they're not just another name on the page, like I said, which I think we've done, you know? Yeah. 
Okay, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for caring. Thank you for loving us. I'm sorry that sometimes I get a little emotional in these cases, but it's only because I care about the victims so much. And I know you guys do too. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And we will see you guys next week with another episode. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye.